Well, we're back into our series, Sounds Familiar, and I'm really excited to share uh, something from the Scriptures with you this morning, and I really hope that you are blessed. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your Word, Lord, and I pray, God, that today you will give us ears to hear, Lord, uh, and hearts to receive, Lord, what you are saying, Holy Spirit, to each one of us individually this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, many years ago when I was involved in university ministry, one of the most commonly asked questions that I fielded was this. Students would ask me, what happens if I sin and then something happens? You know, I get hit by a bus or something. Before I get a chance to repent, before I get a chance to confess that to God, when I kind of pass on through, will I be sent to hell? I think it's an intriguing question because what it says to me is it says to me, that I'm talking to someone who has a very particular understanding about who God is. And I think that sometimes we've got to look at the questions we ask because they reveal to us how we see God, how we perceive Him, right? I mean, if God is a judge whose only interest is in adjudicating the law, then sinning and not repenting before you die could be a real problem. However, if God is a dad whose interest is in the welfare and future of his son or daughter, if that, if that is who God is, then it's, it's a totally different question, right? Because, I mean, God as a dad is, is interested in the welfare and future of his child and is interested in how do we create second chances and how do we use teachable moments and how do we bring grace and how do we show love and how do we protect and all those sorts of things. You get totally different answers. So I think it's really important for us this morning for us to dig in a little bit to how do we understand who God is. It's interesting if you look at all of the times in the four Gospels that Jesus refers to God Almighty. It's interesting to note that 75% of the time he refers to him as Father, as Dad. And that, I think, reveals probably the answer to the question that so many students have asked me over the years. We need to really deeply understand God's perspective on us, His intentions for us, and His work on our behalf behind the scenes. Because I think that it's quite common for us uh, as Christians, when things aren't going well, for us to find ourselves wondering, things aren't going well, is God punishing me? Or in those moments to, to ask does God even see me? Am I completely invisible? Where is God right now? Or for us to ask, is God really working on my heart behalf behind the scenes? And so this morning, I want us to go to a scripture, and we're going to look at a scripture I'm sure we're all very familiar with. It's one of the founding scriptures of, uh, of our campuses, and it's from Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, before we deep dive into this and explore this a little bit, I need to say something. Because I've heard some people say that you can't apply that scripture. That, that, that scripture doesn't apply to us today. That was written to a bunch of Jews in a place called Babylon thousands of years ago. You, you can't apply that. And, and to apply that is to misunderstand what scripture's saying. And I want to say to you, we need to challenge that thinking. 
for a couple of very important reasons. The first one is this, is that Paul specifically says in Romans chapter 15 verse 4 that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. I mean, his, his specific instruction is, I want you to be aware that everything that is written in the Scriptures, even years before, even thousands of years before, if it's in the Scripture, it's there to speak to us. It's there that God might use those things of the past to speak into our present. Secondly, it's important for us to realize that the whole task of biblical interpretation, the whole task of exegesis and hermeneutics, is to look at things of the past, understand what was said in context, and from that context, then understand what are the principles we take from that that speak into our today. So I would say, you know what, Jeremiah 29, 11 absolutely has stuff to say to us today in our context, absolutely. And I would say to you that there is, a, that there is clear instruction for us today from that scripture that is relevant, and we're going to look at that this morning. So let's take a look then at the context for Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. So the Israelites have been taken into exile, and this is really important, right? They've been through a season where they've disregarded God. They haven't followed His laws. They've dishonored Him. They haven't followed what He said. They've rejected the words of the prophet. And so what's happened is God has kind of just stepped back. He's taken His hand of blessing off them. He's taken His favor off them. He's like, okay, you want to do it your way? Here we go. And as a result, Israel has descended into a place where now the nations have come against them and Babylon has come in and ransacked them. And they've taken the vast majority of the people away to Babylon essentially as slaves. They've torn families apart. They've taken everything that they owned. And Israel have ended up in this extremely dark place. And here's the interesting thing, right? It's to that bunch of people that God brings this word in Jeremiah 29, 11. Important application here. God's promises are not just for us when we're performing well. Some of us need to hear that this morning. God's promises are not just for us when we are performing well. And this is what we find in Scripture, that actually even to a a bunch of God followers who aren't following God very well, even for a bunch of people actually who are suffering from a whole bunch of consequences from their own poor decisions, Still in that, God doesn't come and He doesn't list their sins. He doesn't tell them off again. He doesn't warn them again. No, God comes and says some astonishingly positive things, right? Let's look at this. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. He says, my plans are to prosper you and not to harm you. And my plans are to give you a hope and a future. Now, this is really important because every one of us in this room, at some point in our Christian walk, we... We get a bit tired, we get a bit jaded, we get a bit, I'm good enough, I got this all sorted out, cheers God anyway. We, we all have times and seasons and moments when we disregard God, when actually probably we offend, I mean, I think we, we can be pretty offensive to God at times. This God who loves us so much and has poured His grace out and given His own Son to die on the cross for us, and yet we find ourselves at times going, yeah, no, no, I'm good, God. And it's so helpful for us to know that even in those moments, These are the sorts of things that God says to us. I still have plans for you. My plans are to prosper you and not to harm you if you'll just trust me. My plans are to bring you hope and a future. So what I want us to do now is I want us to realize that when we hear those words, we're not really hearing what the Jews heard. Because there is a whole lot of context behind this that we miss And so what we're going to do now is we're going to dive into a little bit of that. And here's the first thought this morning. 
And it comes from that part where the prophet says, when God says, my plans are to prosper you and not to harm you. And this is the first thing that the Jews would have heard. If you're an Israelite in the context of this place in this time, you would have heard this. And it's important that we hear this today. You would have heard this. God is not the author of harm. God is not the author of harm. It's like he's saying, I know you've been torn from your homes, taken as captives. You're living in a foreign land and a foreign culture, which is abhorrent to you. But none of the bad is from me. You've got to realize that. While the consequence of your actions are bad, my actions towards you are still good. You see, this phrase, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, the, the word that is translated here from the, is the Hebrew word shalom. And we know that shalom is this word that we roughly translate peace, but it's got this broad, broad application of meaning, right? God is planning shalom, which means completeness, soundness, welfare, health, prosperity, favor, wholeness, all of these things. These are God's intent towards his people, even in their disobedience. And can I say to you this morning, God's intent towards you, regardless of how your performance is going, is all of these things. God's intent, God's plan for you is shalom, to bring you into this place of completeness and soundness and welfare and health and prosperity and favor and wholeness. And, and you, you can look these words up, and uh, for example, in Jesenius' uh, Hebrew lexicon, you'll find this exactly detailed like that. This is what God's plans are for you, even in our sin. And we read, it's not to harm us. The Hebrew word there is ra, which is translated evil, Adversity, affliction, unhappiness, distress, grief, hurt, misery, sadness, trouble. God is saying, when you experience these things, be very clear, that's not from me. My plans are in no way to bring those things into your life. If you have those things, maybe you need to look elsewhere for the author of those. Maybe it's the devil. Maybe it's the consequences of your own actions. Maybe it's just that we're living in a fallen world and actually bad things sometimes happen to good people. But know this, none of those things come from me. This is so important. Because if you are experiencing adversity, affliction, unhappiness, distress, grief, hurt, misery, sadness, trouble, you need to hear this this morning, that God is not the author of those things in your life. God is not the author of those things in your life. God has plans for you for a different thing. And God is working, if you will just trust Him, to move you into a place of shalom, not ra, to move you into a place of peace and wholeness and soundness and happiness and fullness and favor. That is God's plans for your life. The second thought is this this morning, and this is what I believe absolutely that the Jews hearing, hearing the prophet Jeremiah say these things would have heard this. They would have heard that God sees you. Now, I'm going to unpack this for you. God sees you. You see, when God says uh, that I have plans to give you a hope and a future, this is so interesting. It's such an interesting phrase in the Hebrew because the literal meaning is this, is that God has plans to give you a cord. That's the literal translation, a cord or a rope and an expected outcome. Now, if you were a Hebrew, you would have immediately recognized that as a Hebrew raised in the Torah, understanding and reading all of the scriptures, that, would, that phrase, which is Natan Tikvah, the first time that appears in scripture is in Joshua, and you would have known that. And when they heard this, they would have heard that, and they would have immediately gone back to that story in Joshua, and it's the story of Rahab. So let me take you into this story just for a few moments. 
Israel has come out of Egypt. They've come into, into the desert. They've wandered for 40 years. The previous generation has all died. Now God is calling Joshua to lead them into the promised land through the Jordan. And the first thing they're going to do over there is take Jericho. And so what Joshua does is he sends two spies over through the Jordan to the other side, and they go into Jericho to to get a feel for what's going on there, and they get taken in by Rahab, who was a prostitute. And they get taken into her house, and there they find an amazing thing. Rahab tells them that from the moment, 40 years previously, read the scriptures, 40 years previously when Israel came out out of Egypt um, through the Dead Sea, The fear of God fell on Jericho 40 years previously. And Rahab tells them that she knows that God is going to give the land into their hands. And and she has this faith in God. And so she she welcomes these spies into her house. And she she kind of says this thing, don't forget me. I I don't want God to forget me because I trust him. I know he is good. And I I want want us to have this arrangement. I I want to know that, that God will look after me when you come in and when God gives this land to you. And we're going to pick this conversation up in Joshua chapter 2, verse 12, Rahab speaking. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. And, you know, I mean, we, we, could, we could dive into this whole thing about what the heck is a, is a single woman in Israelite society doing not living with her family, which was the culture. And, and there's all sorts of things here of, of how Rahab had been rejected, which we could go into. We don't have time to do that. And yet what we have is this picture of Rahab, despite being rejected by her family, is making provision for her family. I mean, Grace, there's so much we could talk about here. But she says this, give me a sure sign. Everyone say sure sign. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through a window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. This is important. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return. Then go on your way. And now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Because they thought that when they came to take Jericho, they were going to go through the gates of Jericho and have to search the place and try and find her. So they said, tie a red cord in your window, having no idea that the red cord ultimately was not for them. So it says, and, and this is it, right? And listen, we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord, the tan tikva. In the window through which you let us down, verse 21, so she sent them away and they departed and she, Natan Tikva, she tied the scarlet cord in the window. That scarlet cord dyed blood red was so that God could see, so that God would take note, that God would remember and that God would give her shalom and an expected outcome. How do I know this? How do we know this? Because we read, right, about how the Israelites, they, they cross the Jordan, this incredible miracle, and they march around Jericho for seven days, right? And then the trumpets sound, and they give a great shout to the Lord, and what happens? The walls of Jericho all fall down, flat to the ground, right? And they just walk in and take the place. Except that, oh, hang on, they don't actually, do they? Because when they go to Rahab's house, it says that the men went to her house and retrieved her and her 
whole family. That tells us something, doesn't it? It tells us that when all of the walls fell down, all of the walls fell down apart from one little section. One little section that Rahab's house was in. One little section that remained standing because the men went to her house and took her out to safety. One little part of the wall. See, the Israelites, they didn't have to look around for the red cord, did they? Why? Because the whole place is flat apart from, huh, that little part of the wall is still standing in which Rahab's house was in. And they went, and there was only one door left opening and they went to that door and they took Rahab and her family out. You see, God was working in that. That, that. that red cord in that window was a reminder for Rahab that God saw her and that he would deliver her. Everyone else's house was destroyed, but she and her family were saved. Shalom. And they were brought out, and if you read the story, she eventually becomes Caleb's wife. And, and when we find her later, she's in the very genealogy of Jesus himself. Unbelievable. This, and look, here we have it again, right? She's, she's someone who had been a prostitute, and yet God's plans for her were, were incredible blessing and wholeness and healing and, sh- and, and a place of favor, and she became in the genealogy of Jesus. I mean, un- unbelievable. And the Israelites would have seen, if God does this for a prostitute, God will do that for us unfaithful Israel. Natan Tikbar, God will bring this for us as well. It's, a, it's an astonishing story. You see, despite all that she had been through, despite whatever decisions she had made, despite those things, God had given her a cord that he saw. He saw that blood red cord in her window. And it's remarkable, right? So it tells us that God was working on this. God was planning. She was his project. God saw her. And we don't know how God did it. God could have saved that in a hundred different ways. He could have just put his hand over it when everything else fell down, or God could have been planning it for generations and when the very foundations of the city were being laid, God could have made sure that the workmen working on that part of the wall built the foundation just a little bit deeper, just a little bit stronger, that the brickwork was just a little bit stronger so that when he shook the place, everything else fell down around her. Apart from that, we don't know how God did it. It doesn't matter how God did it. But the point was that God did do it that God had shalom for her despite the negative place that she was in. God was watching over her and that red cord, that, that, that thing that she put in the window that she held on to, that was a reminder for her, was a constant daily reminder that God would see. Let me tell you, your faith in Jesus is a cord. That hope you have is like a red rope in a window something that God sees. It's a constant reminder for God to look out for you, to prepare things in advance for you, to protect you. God sees that always. God sees you always before him. So be encouraged this morning. Your faith, your hope, no matter how small it is, no matter how little it is, it's like, it's like a rope in a window. And when we hold on to our faith, when we hold on to that hope, God sees that. There's a faith, there's a spirit thing there that God sees. It doesn't matter if anyone else sees it or doesn't see it. That's why we've got to stay in faith. That's why we've got to hold on to our faith. No matter how small we feel our faith is, no matter how small we feel our hope is, don't let it go because God sees it and God sees you. And then this leads us to the, I think is the most extraordinary part of this verse, which is actually the first part of the verse. For I know the plans I have for you. The Hebrew is machash hava. 
And this is what it means. I know the, the plans that I plan for you. I know the thoughts that I think for you. I know the inventions that I'm inventing for you, declares the Lord. And it's interesting because the literal meaning of the second part of that, the plans I have for you, the literal translation of I have for you is that I plat for you. This is, this is amazing. What God is saying is, I know the plans and the purposes that I am plaiting into your life, that I am weaving into your life. And here's the thought, right? God is plaiting the purposes of God into your life, into your journey. You do one thing, God overlays it with something else. You overlay that with something, God overlays that with something else. God is plaiting his purposes, weaving his purposes into your life. It's like God is saying, I will do this if you will allow me. If you will trust me, I will do this for you. Can I say that right now, God's plan for you is peace, shalom. His purposes, his plans for you. He is plaiting into your life, whether you see it or not, and usually we don't. And God was saying to the Jews in exile, just like I saw Rahab and her family, and just like no one could see, but I was plaiting all the way. I was weaving my purposes into Rahab's life so she would be saved, so, she would marry, so, so her children would be in the genealogy of Jesus. I had these plans for this woman who was a prostitute and despised in her society. In the same way that that was happening, I saw her. I was plaiting my purposes into her life. For you, Israel, he says, even though you've been torn from your homes and even though you've been unfaithful to me, I'm still planning and plaiting my purposes into your life if you'll just trust me and follow me on this. And God is saying to us today, I see you. I see you. And my plans are for shalom for you, for, for all of these things, all the good things. That's what I am planning for you. And I am plaiting these things into your life if you will let me and if you will trust me. We'll get the team up now as we come to a close. You know, one of my fondest memories as a dad with daughters is plaiting my girls' hair. You need to understand, I'm terrible at plaiting. Terrible at plaiting. I can't French plaid with those things Liz can do. And, you know, it takes me a long time. And thankfully, I had three children. So, I mean, three girls. So by the end of it, I was, I was getting vaguely competent with Katie. But there's just such a beautiful thing when the girls would come and say, Dad, would you plait my hair? And they had long hair. And... They sit in front of me, I sit behind them, and I just take their, their hair off and after a shower, you know, and it's all silky smooth, and then I would pull it into three strands, and then I would start plaiting the hair, one strand over, and then another strand over, and then it, it sounds simple, but it was complex for me, I'll tell you, as a man, and another strand over, and, and it, was, it was just a beautiful, beautiful thing. It was just a really lovely thing to be a part of that in my girls' lives. It was just fantastic. But here's what's interesting, if you're going to plait, something into someone's hair. You have to be behind them to do that. Can I say, you can't see God plaiting his purposes in your life. It's because he can't plait things into your life unless he's behind you. Word of God says that the Lord is that voice behind us saying, this is the way. Walk in it. He is there. He may be out of your sight but he is there, and he is plaiting his purposes into your world. You know, when I'm not perfect, when I've made mistakes, God reminds me that he is not the author of harm in my life. 
God reminds me that He sees me. And He sees my faith. And I've got to hold on to my faith and my hope like rope in a window. I've got to do that. I've got to hold on to that thing. No matter how small or insignificant I feel my faith is, it's still my faith that makes the difference. And God is plaiting His purposes into my life. I want to challenge you this morning. Do you need to take hold of faith again? Because, you know, I know what it's like to be living the Christian life, to turn up to church, even to do small groups, but actually, in reality, I've let go of faith. I'm not really in faith. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working in my own competency. I'm doing the stuff that I'm trying to do, and then when things go bad, I you know, kind of try and sort myself out. But, you know, it's so important for us to stay in faith, to stay in hope. That, that thing that we depend on is so integral to our lives. And I want to say to you this morning, if you've just let go of faith a little bit, you're still doing the Christian thing, you still love God, but you're actually not trusting Him in your current circumstances, be them good or bad. Can I say to you this morning, maybe it's time to take a step and go, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take hold of faith again. It's my faith and my hope. God, it's going to be like a rope in the window. That's what's going on. I'm going, to, I'm going to tie that thing. I'm going to hold on to that, God, because I know you see that. God, you see that. And then when you see that, I know that I'm your project, that you are working, God. You're planning your purposes in my life in ways I can't see. And you're working me towards a place of peace, of shalom, of sound, all those good things. God, here is my faith. It's not very big, but it's died in the blood of Jesus. It's purchased with the blood of Jesus. And so I know you see me today, and I'm going to hold on to that. We're going to stand in a moment. We're going to sing. And we're going to sing the words of the song, right? Even though I can't see it, you're working. I think it's such an important declaration today. Even though I can't see it, you're working. You're plaiting your purposes into my life, God. Even though I can't see it, God, I'm going to hold on to my faith because I know that you see that.